rising through the brook. There's a lot that we have to be thankful for. There's a lot that we have to be excited for with real communities coming up, a lot of different serving opportunity, and with the six-year anniversary coming up as well, uh, just looking back at what God has done in and through the brook, and I think we are all testimonies of that, of, of God's faithfulness, of, of taking just faithful people um, and, and transforming lives and transforming communities, and we pray and hope that we can continue to do that as well. I just want to give also one shout out to the best team, the blue team, that's right, the real champions, if we had not gotten rained out. Uh, with, with that, it, I, I, want, I do want to segue uh, into our time this morning in, in the Word. Um, you know, we have a lot of opportunities to serve through the church and in the church and in the community around us. Um, and, and as I was uh, preparing this message, uh, the Lord has been putting this upon my heart. Um, and I think it's a, it's a great passage. And uh, Jesus oftentimes in his ministry spoke in parables. Uh, these, are, these are stories that he would throw alongside teaching points to, to make it plain to the people that he was trying to teach to. And this parable is one of the most well-known parables in Scripture. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And oftentimes we hear it preached about how do we be neighborly, how do we be good neighbors to other people. But I do want to preach it from a, a different angle on how to be obedient neighbors. Uh, so if, you're, if you have your Bibles, can you... Meet me in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in front of you in the chairs below. Um, if this is your first time and you don't have a Bible, and, and parents, if you know your kids don't have a Bible, this is a great resource for you to take home and have them keep for themselves, to read for themselves. This can be their personal Bible as well. So we want to give this as a gift to you as a welcome from the brook as well. This will be on page 869 if you're looking at the Bibles in front of you. And if you're able to, can you please stand with me? 869 in the blue Bibles in front of you. Luke chapter 10. Yes, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. Our text this morning will be How to Be Obedient Neighbors. I want to read the word. Uh, breathe a word of prayer, and then say my one line. My Bible reads like this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal 
and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever, you, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness in our lives. And we agree with what the psalmist says. He encourages us to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And so this morning, God, we come to bless your name. We come to bless you for being faithful to us, even though we were faithless. We thank you, God, and we bless you for being steadfast to us, even in our rebellious ways. And we thank you for your faithfulness and your son, Jesus Christ. God, I ask now in this moment that as we hear from you, as we read and as we hear from your scriptures this morning, would you open the eyes of our hearts, Lord God, that we may see and know your truth. And I pray, God, for your help this morning. I, as the preacher, God, that it's not my words, but it's by your spirit, God, that transformation takes place. It's nothing that I can say that transforms lives, but we thank you, God, that you continue to be in the ministry of transformation. So at this moment, God, I ask that you move me aside, you hide me behind your cross, that your spirit will do what it does best. Would you open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, and open our hearts to receive. Would you empower my words at this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, you may be seated. Obedient neighbors, obedient neighbors. Charleston, South Carolina, at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. There were nine who were gathered studying the Word of God as they were doing regularly. But it just so happened on, on this one particular day where an, when a guest came in, on this tragic day, they opened their doors, they opened their arms, they opened their hearts to receive this guest. And as they were studying the scriptures, this guest, on this very tragic day, took out a firearm, killing nine of the members of the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Now we remember this day as a tragic day. And we want to honor those who lost their lives. But in hearing the testimony of the family members and in hearing the testimony in the, the, the victims who, were, who, who lost their lives, what occurs to me, what was, what, what's interesting about their response to receiving this guest was that they were responding to the command that Jesus had given to them. They were, they were responding as obedient neighbors. And this text, this text in a similar note, calls us as, as hearers of the word to be obedient neighbors. Let me give you a cliff note version of this passage, a summary of, of what this parable, of this event that takes place. Jesus is, is with his disciples and he's teaching and a, a teacher of the law, a lawyer, an expert in the law stands up and 
wants to ask this question, wants to put Jesus to the test. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered, what does it say in the law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do, do this and you will live. But then the, the teacher of the law tries to justify himself, we read. And he says, but, and who is my neighbor? And so Jesus gives this parable, this sermon illustration to demonstrate what he was trying to talk about. He was already anticipating this question. And so he gives this parable. He says there's this man who's walking down from from Jerusalem down into Jericho in this steep 17-mile journey where he falls into the hands of robbers and he becomes beaten, mugged, robbed, left, half dead to bleed out and die. And and he, he says it just so happens, just coincidentally, that a priest comes by, sees this man, and walks on the other side of the road. Similarly, a Levite walks down that road, sees this man, walks by on the other side of the road. And then a Samaritan, the most unlikeliest of characters, sees this man, has compassion on him, and takes matters into his own hands and takes care of him. And so Jesus poses this question, which of these three do you think was the most neighborly to this man. And begrudgingly, the expert of the law answers, the one who showed him mercy. And so Jesus commands him saying, go and do likewise. What this text shows to us is that there is a relationship within obedience between our compliance and the master that we comply to. It shows to us that our actions communicate a lot louder than we think. It shows to us who it is that we serve. And so this morning, as we look at our passage, I want to submit to you that that this text teaches us that our neighborliness is a reflection of our obedience to God. Our neighborliness is a reflection of our obedience to God. So you might ask me this morning, so what does obedience then look like? And so the first point, the first characteristic of obedience that we see in Scripture is that obedience does not seek to be justified. Obedience does not seek to be justified. We see that in verses 25 through 29. Look with me in the text. It says, and behold, a lawyer, a lawyer. This title of lawyer was someone who was an expert in the law, in the law of Moses, so he knew the Torah, the, 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 the law of God in and out. So he knew what it commanded, and he also knew and took into consideration every single detail of the word of God. And so this teacher, he stood up to put Jesus to the test. In those days, it was considered respectful and honorable for you to stand while the teacher is sitting But we see that this teacher of the law had other intentions in mind. He wanted to trump and he wanted to stumble Jesus in his teaching. And so he he stood with this intention to try to trick Jesus. And it says, asking, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus, as he typically does, responds with the question saying, what is written in the law? He says, how do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God 
with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You see, that response takes into consideration two commands. The first is the Shema and is what the Israelites remembered. This is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is found in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then he also tags on this other verse found in, in Leviticus where it says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This can be the summary of all the Torah of the Ten Commandments, of all that God has commanded to the people of Israel, is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. This is, if the first people were to hear that, they would know this is common sense, this is common knowledge, this is something that we know inherently that we're called to do, is love the Lord our God and love people. And so Jesus responds saying, you have answered well. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then the teacher of the law tries to justify himself. Not just a mere matter of justifying himself before the eyes of Jesus, but trying to justify his own actions. And isn't that something that we tend to do sometimes? We justify ourselves saying, is this good enough? Is this okay enough? For God to consider. Or we try to justify our actions before the sights of men. You know, they say that confession is good for the soul but bad for the reputation. And if I can be honest, sometimes there's a lot of times where I'll be driving in the city and I look over to the side of the road and there's a homeless person who has a sign just down on his luck asking for some change. And it's in that moment where I'm I'm listening to music. Lord, I love you more than anything. And then when I see that person, I, let me just turn the radio down real quick. And Oh, I think there's something here uh, in my cup holder. Let me just look at it until the light turns green. Am I the only one who does that? Can I be honest here? It seems like I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm the only one who does that. And that's, that's just one example that we might do. But there's a lot of times in our lives where, you know what, we just justify if it's okay or you know, sometimes it does come with because we don't know. We don't know the extent or we don't know what the right thing is to do. But if, I, if, if we can be honest, sometimes it's because we have the wrong master in our mind. That rather than serving the Lord in our actions, we want to serve our own reputation. And this is what this lawyer does. Is that he wanting to justify himself before the side of Jesus, asks this question. He wants to justify his actions by saying, Jesus, is this good enough for me to do? Is this good enough? Is this the bare minimum that I can do to inherit eternal life? But the Bible has made it clear. The Lord God has made it clear in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, the Lord requires you to love justice to show mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. And so obedience does not seek to be justified, but obedience does also not wait for recognition, nor is it for selfish gain. 
Read with me in verses 30 through 32. And so Jesus, in perceiving this question, perceiving the motivation of this lawyer, perceiving in his heart, I know what you're trying to get at. He answers with this parable and he says, Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. This is an actual geographic location. They would always say, we're going up to Jerusalem because that's where the temple of God was. They're going up to Jerusalem. And the the journey from Jerusalem down into Jericho was a 17-mile journey, a steep slope. And they say that on this road, it was pretty common for, for robbers to hide out, for burglars and bandits to be hidden so that when someone who happened to cross their path, they would fall into into the hands of those robbers and to those bandits. It was pretty common that you would see people who would get robbed and mugged on this this road as they're making their way down into Jericho. So Jesus makes this illustration to us. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him, leaving him half dead. And then verse 31 reads, Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Certainly the priest would have compassion. Certainly the priest, the one who was supposed to be a mediator between God and his people, would be the one who would see this person in need and have compassion. But no, what we see here is that the priest, it says, as he was going down that road, When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He just looked at him on the other side of the road, didn't even take a moment to observe to see if this man was even dead or alive, but instead chose to walk on the other side of the road. It's the same thing with the Levite. When he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. Now, as I was studying this passage, it occurred to me that this man who was beaten on the side of the road could have been a fellow Jew. This man who was left beaten half dead could have been a friend or a family member of the priest, of the Levite. But yet the priest and the Levite, I want to argue and submit to you this morning, they were looking for recognition and selfish gain. And sometimes we fall into that very trap. That the actions that we pursue, sometimes we have to question ourselves, am I doing this for God or am I doing this for the recognition of others? Am I looking for the praises of men? Imagine what it would have been like if there were multiple people walking along that road and the priest who was walking by and all eyes suddenly turned to him expecting him to do something good, expecting him to love his neighbor as himself. Imagine what it would have been like if there were more multiple eyes upon the Levite who was also walking down that same road, expecting him to love his neighbor as himself. I do want to honor that there is Levitical law and priestly laws about purification, about touching dead things, But when it comes down to this, we have to ask ourselves, 
We have to, we have to, we have to examine our hearts. We have to bring this before the Lord. Is this for selfish gain? Am I concerned more about my purification or about the purification of others? We ought to be careful of human, be careful of human praise because it can be the very thing that leads us to our fall and our own failure, feeding the very poison of pride that takes root in our lives. So while obedience does not seek to be justified, and while obedience does not wait for recognition, nor is obedient for selfish gain, obedience also transcends beyond human barriers. That our, as our neighborliness is a reflection of our obedience to God, obedience transcends beyond human barriers. Read with me in verses 33 to 35. It says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave, to, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend I will repay you when I come back. It's important to note the, the figure of this person. The Samaritan man. You see, in those days, there was animosity. There was a relationship tension between Samaritans and Jews. The Jewish people looked down upon the Samaritan, the Samaritan people for being half Jewish. They looked down upon them. They did not welcome them into their worship setting. They did not want to associate with them. There were a lot of political ties associated with the relationship between Samaritans and the Jewish people. And it's important to note that it's not the Jewish person who had compassion, but the Samaritan person, the one who was oppressed. The one who was cast out. It says a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. That word compassion, to us when we read compassion, can be showing sympathy or showing empathy. But rather, when we look at it in, in the Greek, it's interesting to note that the word that Luke chooses to use is the same word that's only associated with Jesus. In John chapter 11, when, when, when Jesus is at the, the, the tomb of Lazarus, it says that he's moved with compassion. That move, that move with compassion is an illustration that he was moved in his inner being. That in his organs he felt discomfort. It's interesting to note that the Samaritan man, the one that the Jewish people did not want to associate, the one that the, the original heroes would immediately associate being distant from Jesus would actually have the characteristics closest to Jesus. It's the Samaritan man who was moved in his inner being, had compassion on the one who was half dead. And so we ask ourselves, are we moved with compassion when we see the broken? Are we moved with compassion when we see the marginalized? Are we moved with compassion to those who are being taken advantage of? Are we moved with the same compassion that Jesus had? It says he was moved with compassion. 
and he went to him. He crossed the political barriers. He, 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 he crossed the physical barriers. All the things that the world, the walls of hostility that Jesus has built down and the walls that people have brought back up, he moved beyond them. And it says that he took him, put, his, put him on his own animal, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Out of his own resources, out of his own abundance, he took care of the one who oppressed him. It says, the next day he took out two denarii, well more than what he needed, and gave them to the innkeeper. An important context here is that, you know, in in those days, innkeepers, they were caught doing shady business. But it's important to to note that the Samaritan knew this. The Samaritan knew that the innkeeper might take advantage of his resources. But regardless of that, he went above and beyond saying, saying, whatever you take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So regardless of knowing that he was going to be taken advantage of, he was willing to lay down his abundance. He was willing to lay down his resources. He was willing to lay down all that he had to take care of this man. Obedience transcends beyond human barriers, beyond grudges, beyond bitterness, jealousy, and envy. And so our, as our neighborliness is a reflection of our obedience to God, as we look within ourselves, Jesus does, doesn't leave the, the, the lawyer in this position. He does not leave him here just to sit in his thoughts. But he asks this question, He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. I think it's interesting to me that in hearing this man's response, he still chose not to acknowledge that it was the Samaritan who showed compassion, but rather the one who showed him mercy. You see, what we can get from this answer is that the lawyer was not look he he did not hear the answer he was quite looking for but rather he was left with an answer that led him to realize that he actually does not know as much as he thought and i think that's that's interesting in the kingdom of god is that the experts are not actually experts they're the fools it's it's the poor who are actually rich in spirit It's interesting that in the kingdom of God, the last are first and the first are last. And so this man, he's he's left with this answer. And you and I are left with this same charge and answer this morning. Go and do likewise. Just like our in-house theologian. Go and do likewise. (laughs) See, we're called to these two imperatives, these two commands that Jesus gives to us. Go and do likewise. And do likewise. And I can't help but think, if I can use my sanctified imagination this morning, that if this Samaritan person was a real person, how did he, how was this one person able to have compassion on someone who politically hated him because of his association? 
My mind goes back to John chapter 4 when Jesus is sitting at the well and he meets the Samaritan woman. And after this one encounter, after her life-changing encounter with Jesus, she goes and tells the whole neighborhood. I can't help but think that perhaps if this man was real, this man would be a product of the testimony of the Samaritan woman. And so I want to ask you this morning, who can we share our testimony to? Whose life can we change that we realize that when we impact one, they impact thousands more? Now, I do want to close with this example. You might be asking me, Josh, you've laid out what it means to be obedient. You've laid out what it means to be an obedient neighbor, but we need an example. We need someone to look at. We need someone who can show us the way on how to be obedient. Well, I can tell you of one good neighbor. I can tell you of one good neighbor who came down from heaven's heights. He was born in a lonely manger. I can tell you about one, na- one good neighbor who gave up the riches and glories of heaven, was born in a town called Nazareth, where people wondered, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I can tell you about this one good neighbor that while the priests and Levites looked at him with the stank eyes saying, this man eats with, with robbers, cheaters, he responds saying, is not the rich or the, the healthy that need a doctor, but the poor. I have not come to be served, but to serve. I can tell you about this good neighbor, this good neighbor who was obedient to the Father, this good neighbor who came down from heaven, even to the point of death. And they led him on the Via de la Rosa, onto the hill called Calvary, where there's an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, where they put nails in his hands, and they put nails in his feet. They put a spear in his side and a crown of thorns upon his head, and they hung him there in his shame, that while in the heavenly realms he was adorned with glory, as he was adorned with honor by the angelic hosts, He was up on that cross with with curses and slur laid upon him, saying, if you truly are the Son of God, why don't you get yourself down from there? As one preacher would say it, he already came down from heaven's heights. What's another three feet? And he hung there. He stayed there until the point of death. But we know that's, that's not how the story ends. We know that he laid in the grave all day Friday and all day Saturday and early on Sunday morning with all power in his hands. He said, I got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And he walked out victoriously. This is the good neighbor that we have. This is the good neighbor that we know that has shown compassion to us even though we did not deserve compassion. This is the good neighbor that gave abundantly and more out of his excess so that we can become children of God, so that we can become co-inheritors with him. Oh, I'm, I'm, reminded, of, I'm reminded this morning as I was driving here of, of the hymn, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head to such a worm as I? 
Was it for crimes that I have done? He hung up on the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I am happy all the day. Can we stand on our feet this morning? Praise team, prayer team, let me come up. There's an invitation for us to be obedient neighbors. As people who have, ex- who have experienced the compassion, the love, and the mercy, and the grace of God, that we have an opportunity to be extensions of those things, to be extensions of the hands and feet of Jesus into our communities, into our workplaces, into our schools, to our families. So we have an opportunity this morning as we sing this final song, but also to respond in prayer. If you have any needs, we have a prayer team here that is willing to pray with you, that is willing to let you know that I am here with you so that you don't have to walk through this alone. But there's also an invitation for those of us who might be in here who are wondering, what is it like to have a relationship with Jesus? What is it like to have Jesus to be my good neighbor? You come to the right place because Jesus makes himself available to everyone. He says, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's an opportunity for us this morning for you to come to the Lord, come to Jesus, turn from your sins, repent, and live your life free from the sins that hold you down, free from the chains that keep you from walking up. And it's an opportunity for us also to renew ourselves with the Lord, to renew a commitment saying, God, I want to be an obedient neighbor. I want the way that I treat my neighbors to be a reflection of my obedience to the call on my life, to be a reflection of the obedience to Jesus. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not take into consideration things that we take into consideration when it comes to showing love to others. We thank you, Jesus, that you did not think twice to leave heaven, to come down to earth, to dwell among us. We thank you, Jesus, that without hesitation, Though you did not want to suffer, you took upon that cross on your shoulders and you took the weight of the world. You took the sins of all of humanity upon your shoulders. Jesus, you were willing to be separate from God for just a moment so that we can be eternally with the Father. What a great neighbor to have. What a great person to know. And so Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray that if anyone is in here who has yet to have a relationship with you, who has yet to know the love of God, would you make it known to them? Would you move in their hearts? If there's any conviction of sin, would you do that, Holy Spirit? 
that they may turn away from living this life that leads to, to vanity, to emptiness, to death, and to life away from you eternal. And that you would beckon them, you would draw them near to you. And I pray, God, that we as a church, that we also may respond in love. That this may not just be a place where we gather to sing songs and to hear a good message, to feel good and to leave. But this truly will be a place where people can come to seek refuge. A place, as the psalmist would say, that as they go up into the house of the Lord, that all of life's problems make sense. That all the things in their lives are made new. God, that they are restored, that they find their hope in you. God, we honor you this morning. We thank you for what you've done and what you do. We thank you, God, that your word continues to speak and it continues to be active and moving. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.